I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you received a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Welcome back to the Worthy of Sea podcast. Uh, this is Chip Stewart. It is Saturday, September 9th, 2023, and I was just reading from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. And I think um, the reason why it will become evident very quickly. I've recorded this episode in response to some information I received recently about a, a conference that is coming to one of the, um, the large churches here in the, the Atlanta area. Um, it's going to be held from September 28th to 29th. And it's, um, it's called the Unconditional Conference. And um, it, it, as a Christian, it, it really concerns me uh, based on the, the sponsoring organizations that, that I see um, who are coming to this conference and, and the, uh, the speakers who have also been invited. Um, I believe that from, from what I see here, it's indicating compromise in the Church of Christ um, through following doctrines of, of demons um, what, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to read to you verbatim. There might be some slight alteration from I to he and things like that, just to make it sound correctly for me saying it as opposed to the website that I pulled it from. I pulled all of this information from, from websites concerning this event or people associated with this event. Again, this is going to be sponsored by a megachurch here in the Atlanta area. So the event itself is described as follows. This two-day premiere event is for parents of LGBTQ plus children and for ministry leaders looking, looking to discover ways to support parents and LGBTQ plus children in the churches. You'll be equipped, refreshed, and inspired as you hear from leading communicators on topics that speak to your heart, soul, and mind. We deeply desire this time will bring about healing and restoration. No matter what theological stance you hold, we invite you to listen, reflect, and learn as we approach this topic from the quieter middle space. Reading this, I was a little bit confused by quieter uh, middle space. Um, not really sure what that is, but if this being at a a church that calls itself a Christian church and being sponsored here, being um, held at this at this large church. I would expect this rather to be said that it is approached from a biblical perspective. So the event will be led by an organization with that that uh, that states the following mission and vision. So the mission of this organization is to build bridges between LGBTQ plus individuals, their families, and the church not in spite of the Bible, but because of the Bible, drawing parents and children into a deeper relationship with each other and vertically with God. Their vision is to have an increasing impact on healing Christian families with LGBTQ plus loved ones and a catalyst for the church, in quotes, for the church to create safe parent care groups that are honoring to Jesus. 
makes me wonder what Jesus they are proclaiming. So who is going to be at this conference? Well, the, the lead pastor of the hosting megachurch will be there. Uh, the leaders of the sponsoring organization will be there. And um, the man says that, the, the gentleman is saying that he is pursuing his passion of helping LGBTQ families become reconciled with each other and move one step closer to Jesus. And then he and his wife, both of them are going to be there apparently, um, authored the book, Embracing the Journey, A Christian Parent's Blueprint to Loving Your LGBTQ Child. There will also be a female author there who is um, not only an author, but a professional counselor, and I, I believe is another pastor at the hosting megachurch. So she, uh, she says that she has been on a journey to discover what God has to say about the topic of homosexuality and gender identity issues and the LGBTQ plus community for the past decade. She also says that she leads a ministry for parents of LGBTQ plus children who are desperate to learn how to love their children well and discover God's purposes for them on this journey. She has spoken at several conferences about parenting LGBTQ plus children uh, well and is passionate to seeing LGBTQ plus individuals and their families reconciled to their faith. Um, there will also be a, a male author there who describes himself as a gay evangelical Christian. Uh, he says from 2001 to 2017, he ran an influential LGBTQ advocacy organization that worked primarily in conservative religious spaces, spaces the largest of its kind. Um, his book is the story of his journey as a devout evangelical who discovered himself to be gay. Throughout the book, he uses personal stories, pop culture references, and scientific research to discuss a number of the issues Christians care about. Why are people gay? Can sexual orientation be changed? How has the church responded? How should the church respond? And what does the Bible say about it all? If I can interject here um, briefly, he is interjecting um, personal stories, pop culture references, and scientific research to discuss these issues. Um, uh, maybe he does include the Bible, but I would expect um, that over all of that, which has a trump card over all of that, is the scriptures, the word of God, that, that overrules all of that. And then finally, there's a, another man who will be at this conference being held at a megachurch here in Atlanta, uh, who is founder of an organization that helps LGBTQ plus individuals rediscover Jesus. Um, he, is, he is passionate about helping all God's people as well as equipping, equipping Christians wanting to play a role in reconciling with the LGBTQ community. And he says that, I've known two things about myself for about as long as I can remember. Jesus is my hero and I'm gay. The mission of his organization is creating new conversations and relationships between Christians and the LGBTQ plus community. So those should give you an idea about who is coming to speak at this, this conference at the end of September being held at a what claimed to be a Christian megachurch. So now those of you who listen to my, uh, my, my podcast, well, I, I, uh, I must, uh, I am directed to look at this from a biblical pers perspective. And by doing so, um, I first want to address sin in general um, and then moving on to describe our responsibility to our children as, as Christian parents. I think this may be something that, that is kind of lost these days. 
and uh, and then I'll I'll go on from there to to um to what the Bible says about sexually immoral behavior and how we should be responding to this. All right. So um, let's let's turn to the scriptures. Let's start in Matthew chapter five, verses seventeen through nineteen. And um, here Jesus speaks of the law and on the relaxing of its commandments. So our Lord says here, do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Please note here, he's saying that until heaven, heaven, the heavens and earth pass away. Well, they haven't passed away yet, so this is still in force. Jesus also talks about causing one of Christ's, one of his own little ones to sin. What happens um, when someone causes one of his little ones to sin? Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 5. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depth of the sea. A very stern warning from our Lord. And then as parents, getting a little bit more specific, the, the Bible tells us bring, we, need to be, we need to bring up our children in the knowledge and admonition of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Um, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And, and the discipline and instruction of the Lord is not just the New Testament. It is the entire Word of God because He is the Word. The entire Bible is about Jesus Christ. So we need to make sure to teach our children the, the full counsel of God, rightly dividing the word of truth. Proverbs talks about training up our children. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Proverbs also talks about disciplining our children. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Well, discipline on what? Well, if, if you find your child sinning, then you should be disciplining your child. And how do you know what sin is? The Bible tells you what sin is because only one person determines what sin is, and that is God. There's no one else that has the authority to tell to say what sin is and what sin is not. It's solely the Lord's realm. Deuteronomy um, chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, instructs us to teach our children um, even though what I'm about to read is specifically given to the nation of Israel, um, it, it is also good advice for those of us who are in Christ. We have a more complete revelation now that we get to teach our children. So it says here, um, again, Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So here he's talking about loving the Lord and then going right into obedience of commands. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on, your do on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. 
the Word of God, His commands are ever before you in your life. And you're, you're bringing up your children and you're instructing your family in the way of the Lord. And then the, the last thing I want to say in, in this section here is that if you love God, if you say you love God, you will obey His commands. Deuteronomy chapter 5, again, starting in the Old Testament with this one, uh, verse 9. You shall not make, this is, uh, this is going into um, the, the Ten Commandments, a reiteration on them. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or light, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love, okay, Focus in on, on this part right here. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Putting the two things together here. Love for God is keeping his commandments. Ecclesiastes, uh, in chapter 12, verse 13. The end of the matter, so the very end of the book. Um, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And now let's move into the New Testament in the book of John, chapter 14. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then also in chapter 14, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, is it who lo- it, it, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And then uh, in 1 John chapter 5, says here, by this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. And then in John chapter 8, going back to, um, to the gospel of John, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This is an imper- a, a very important verse here because he is saying, if you abide in his word, you're truly his disciples. You can claim to be Jesus' disciple all day long and that you love Jesus and he's your hero. But if you don't abide in his word, it says here that you are not one of his disciples and that you don't know the truth and you are not set free. Free from what? Well, in this case, it's certainly free from the bondage of sin. And I want to remind you that his commandments can be found throughout the scriptures. You need to be able to rightly divide the word of truth based on context. But the truth is all the books of the Bible, the Old and New Testament. God is the same God throughout all of it. And he, and, and again, Christ is the word. So you need to be going back and reading the Old Testament to see what, what is in the mind of God. What is he telling us? So now let's get a little more specific. And let's see what God says about sexually immoral behavior and, and his commandments that govern, um, govern our behavior um, in regards to these, these issues. Um, so sexual acts um, that deviate from what God has established are declared as sin in the Old Testament. So at the very beginning, um, God sets the stage in Genesis 1 by saying, God created, he created man male and female. It's one or the other. It's not fluid. It's not a fluctuating human condition. This is the way God intended 
and he created it this way. That's just a foundational truth that comes out of the Bible that we seem to have forgotten these days. You know, especially in the United States, once prayer and, and uh, the Bible and creation, all, all these sorts of things were pushed out of our school system, truth, it was a rejection of God and truth, for he is truth. So now there is no foundation of truth in this nation. So people are, are lost. They, they have no moral standards to base their conduct on because it's God. He's our creator, so he sets the moral standards. But he, he's been shown the door in this country. And you wonder why people are thinking that someone made a man is going to become a woman. It makes absolutely no logical sense. It makes no sense whatsoever. But yet this is what happen, happens when people have depraved minds. They, they are starving because there is no truth. They're starving for the truth. So let's move on um, in, uh, to Genesis chapters 18 19 where it describes Sodom and Gomorrah, a very famous um, situation here. But let's look at the particular sins um, that these people in Sodom were committing. So Genesis 18, verses 20 and 21, Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me, and if not, I will know. It's, it seems very, it's not very specific here. Their sin is very grave. Well, what is that? We, we just don't know by reading this part of the text. So then moving on to um, chapter 19, starting in verse 1, this is where it starts to describe some of the actions of the people in the town um, toward the two angels that have come to Sodom. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the, in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house, and they called the lot. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we, that we may know them. And this know them, that is sexually knowing them. It is sexually violating them. Verse 6. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do, not, and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand back. And they said, This fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you, with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to, the, to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they, struck the, and they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city? Bring them out, to this, bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people have become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us 
to destroy it. So Lot went out and and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, up, get out of this place for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. So a very distasteful situation here where all of the men of the town are trying to break down the door um, to have sexual intercourse with the two angels, the men who had come into um, into the town. They were also threatening Lot. And, and Lot was going to basically sacrifice his daughters so that they wouldn't violate these angels, these men that had come to town. It's a very difficult passage to understand, but you have to understand the depth of depravity, the graveness of the sin of the men of Sodom that led to this. So, you know, why is this sin very grave? That's what it said back in chapter 18, verse 20, um, where it said their sin is very grave. Well, let's look at some other passages in the Bible that describe um, what the men of Sodom were doing. So if we go to Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 49, 50, gives us some more detail. As I live, declares the Lord God, your sister Sodom and her daughters have not done as you and your daughters have done. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me, so I removed them when I saw it. So here it's talking about the sin of pride, which which God hates. Um, not taking care of the poor and the needy, which, which God hates as well. He, he instructs us to take care of the poor and the needy. And we, we, we need to reflect at this point upon ourselves about our own pride and our own lack of, of um, taking care of the poor. But again, it says they were haughty and did an abomination. So what is this abomination? Let's keep reading um, in the scriptures. So um, in Jude, let's take a look at, uh, at Jude uh, uh, verses 3 through 7. It's in chapter 1. only chapter. Um, It says here, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were, were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. And I fear this is exactly what is going going on with things like this conference. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he is kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah in the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So we hear here, we, we see it through their actions in, in the city of Sodom, and we also see it ex, um, described plainly by Jude, where he says they indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire. So a natural desire, well, let's, let's keep reading through the scriptures as I speak, and, and this may, you'll see this um, again. Let's take a look at the law. Let's look at Leviticus um, chapter 18 and also 20. Uh, it says here, You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. 
Do you think the Lord has changed his mind about this? So that was 1822. 2013. If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. So in the legal system of the nation of Israel, the punishment of this behavior was death. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5. A woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. So what's meant by abomination? I went to Webster's 1828 Dictionary. I think I've, I've um, explained to you before why I do this. I find it reliable. Um, it seems that these days, definitions of words in the English language are being constantly changed. So I want to go back to something that has a more biblical meaning of the word. So here um, in, in, uh, in Webster's 1820, it says, Hence, defilement, pollution in a physical sense are evil doctrines and practices, which are moral defilements. Idols and idolatry are called abominations. In short, whatever is an object of extreme hatred is called an abomination. So anything the Lord calls an abomination, he extremely hates. You have to ask yourself, has he changed his position on this with the... um, with the uh, incarnation of Christ and his death and resurrection. Now, it isn't lost on me that the very same pastor who was hosting this event uh, has said in the past that we need to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. Um, it's just kind of convenient because then you can um, cover these sorts of, um, these sor- these sorts of uh, statements from Scripture up. You, you don't have to address them or bring them into, into an argument. Okay, so another place where we find the word abomination is in Proverbs 13, 9. And this is kind of flipping it from some abomination to, uh, to God, something that's an abomination to fools. Um, it starts out, a desire fulfilled is sweet to the soul, but to turn away from evil is an abomination to fools. Beloved, do not be a fool. Repent of your evil and pursue instead righteousness. So that was some parts of the Old Testament I brought out that talk about sexual sin. Now let's move on to the New Testament. So in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus establishes what marriage is. In this one, he says, he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? That's what we already talked about. And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Here, God is involved in the marriage of a man, one man, one woman. He's joined them together into one flesh. Let not man separate that. There are no other options. This is coming from our Lord. And then then sexual immorality was so serious in the marriage relationship that that Jesus gave it uh, as one of the legitimate reasons, as the only one he gave during his public ministry, to dissolve the union that God had made. So here, you know, before in, in uh, chapter 19, verses 4 through 6 in Matthew, he's saying, let not man separate the marriage that has God has created. But here he's saying there is a time when that marriage relationship can be uh, dissolved. Because of the seriousness of the offense of 
sexual immorality. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries the divorced woman commits adultery. So marriage is something that is sacred in the eyes of God, and sexual immorality is something so serious that that's the only reason he gives during his public ministry to separate that marriage. Romans chapter 1, I'm, I'm sure you've heard it many times now in this, this day and age, but here it is explicit that sexual immorality is not acceptable to the Lord our God. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural, relationship, natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, gave, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. That's what this conference sounds like, giving approval to those who practice them. Then we also must understand that the sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-11 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And such were some of you. Meaning, they no longer practice those sins because of the redemptive power of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is your hope. Repent of your sins and believe on the name of Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8-11 through 11 also speak about this. That... Um, that the sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. So in this passage from Timothy, it describes sexual morality and homosexuality as contrary to sound doctrine. So you cannot justify this behavior in the body of Christ. So what are we seeing here? What are we seeing with things like this conference? Because I get the impression that this is becoming much more widespread in the so-called Church of Christ. Um, let's turn to 1 John chapter 1, starting in, in verse 6, talking about walking in darkness. I think that's the first thing that we see here is, is people walking in darkness. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all, all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So the truth is not in those who tell you that sexual immorality is not sin. But please remember, our Lord Jesus Christ is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we confess those sins. You have to know that they're sins. And we have people out there that are trying to tell us it's not. The second thing I think we're seeing is that um, it's back to the, Jew, uh, the passage from Jude that we read before. Certain people have crept into the church. Um, Jude chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. The third thing is that we see people turning to the foolish wisdom of the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 18 through 20. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. There's some people out there that think they're smarter than God and can overrule his commandments. By doing so, they're placing themselves above God, which springs forth from pride and manifests itself as outright rebellion following in the ways of Satan. Pride and rebellion. And then the fourth thing I think um, we're seeing here is this is spiritual warfare. Let me repeat that. This is spiritual warfare. And we must treat it as such. Turning to Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. 
Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. I encourage you to read the rest of that. But we are in a spiritual war. No wisdom of this world is going gonna, is gonna to help you win. You need to go to the Lord and pray to Him. That's part of the armor of God, to be praying at all times to Him for His, his help and assistance. I mean, you look around us and what, is, what explains this, the turning to perversion in this society? It's spiritual. This is a spiritual battle. But we have the Lord on our side. But we need to turn to him. We need to turn to him and put on his armor. So, based on all this, I have to tell you that there's no reconciliation between the church of Christ and sexually immoral immoral or any other sinful behavior. The only way someone can be reconciled with God is for them to repent of their sins and accept Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. Period. It is, not the church, it is not the church's place to compromise the commandments of God, but rather to follow and uphold them. Again, I say there is no reconciliation between the church of Christ, the bride of Christ, and sexually immoral or any other sinful behavior. We need to put that out of the body. We need to help, we need to help our brothers and sisters in Christ do that as we all become more like Christ. So should we partner with people who compromise the word of God? Well, the question is, for what fellowship does darkness have with light? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 14, um, going to the first verse of chapter uh, 7. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be, my, you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Let me, let me repeat that. Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Understand that freedom in Christ, and you know, we have been saved by Christ, and He's set us free. That freedom in Christ does not mean we get to determine what is sin and what is not. Only God has that authority. And Paul is very clear in his letter to the Romans that we should not continue in sin once we are saved. I'll take a snippet from there, from chapter 6, starting at verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. You need to understand what is sin. And we Again, we do not have the authority to redefine sin. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. 
Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Sin has no dominion over you once you are in Christ. He sets you free from the bondage of sin. You are no longer a slave to sin. So you should no longer be in bondage to sexual immorality. He has freed you from it. Seek his help to deliver you and get it out of your life. Don't let it reign in your mortal body. So when someone does define, redefine um, sexual sin and say it's not sin any longer, what is happening here? Well, we're telling people that they are no that they um, that they are free when they're practicing. They're free even though they're still practicing sexual sin, but in actuality, they are still in bondage to their sin. Is that what we want them to be convinced in their mind to help help them believe that that they're they're not sinning, that they're not captive and in bondage to sin when they actually are? I know somebody who does, who does want people to be in bondage to sin, but believe they're not, be deceived that they're not. And that's our adversary, the devil. Don't be on his side. Don't be doing his work. Instead, we should be imitators of God. So Ephesians chapter 5, starting verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, I'll do a quick aside here that, um, you know, some will accuse um, what I'm saying is not, not being loving. But remember, love as defined by our Lord. To love the Lord is to obey his commandments, not the world's definition of love. So therefore, be imitators of God's beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So love is also warning people about what God calls sin so that they can be freed from it. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. I have to say that one again. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. It can be named at that church. Can it not with the presence of this conference? Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. Brothers and sisters, we love our Lord by obeying his commands. We don't love him by inventing another Christ who justifies our sinful behavior. And we certainly don't love Christ by following doctrines of demons, which the toleration of sexual sin in the church certainly falls under. 
In closing, I want you to understand um, that, that I'm addressing this issue in obedience to Christ. Um, it's also because I have a true heartfelt concern for your soul and the souls of your children. I want you to love the Lord because you're obedient to Him. I want you to run the race set before you by God, and I want you to run it well. I don't want you to be deceived by false teachers. I, I, don't, I don't want you to be deceived by sons of disobedience and workers of iniquity. Believe God. Believe God and, and act on it. Trust that He has your good at heart. His commandments are not burdensome, and they are for your good. I want no one, I want no one cast in the eternal lake of fire because they did not repent of their practice of sin. Because the church, and I'll use, I'll use quotes here, told them it was acceptable in the eyes of God. That, my friends, is blood on the hands of the men who teach it. In the name of our most merciful Father in heaven, repent. Repent of your sins and be saved. Seek his face. If you're dealing with this issue in your, in your life, in your children's lives, in, in, in your friends' life, family, whoever, seek the face of God. Seek His counsel. Seek His help. Because in, in the Psalm 46, it tells us, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. This is trouble. It's not a journey. It's trouble. And God promised us He is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Go to Him. Go to Him now. If you are a Christian, cry out to God. If you are not a Christian... Cry out to God and repent of your sins and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. John chapter 6, starting verse 35, tells us that Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall, not, shall never thirst. For I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. What a promise from our Lord. So based on this, in becoming a believer, ask Ask God if you are in troubled times, if you, if you're experiencing these events in your life that are ripping your heart out, turn to Him. Matthew chapter seven, starting verse seven. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Of which one of you? If his son asks him for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Ask. For the love of your family, your children, ask him. And then finally, flee sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, 
and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Praise God. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price, the precious blood of Christ, may I add. So glorify God in your body. Glorify God in your body. Brothers and sisters, may your life, may your life be a living sacrifice to the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.